What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 33 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Wedded and that's Day, uh, February 8th, 2017. Getting close to Valentine's Day. Yet another fucking holiday that sucks for people who uh, don't have a uh, significant other like myself. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing fine. Um, I'm going to start uh, studying for a learner's permit so I can... Go to driving school and Ooh. learn how to drive a car. So. Ooh. Yeah. Moving on up. <laughs> Moving on up. That's good. Um, why Why do you, uh, why all of a sudden are you wanting to do all that? I thought you were happy doing well, public my transport. Well, pa- my, uh, my parents kind of decide to help out. They think that would be good for me. Also, it might open up some opportunities uh, job-wise well. that I wouldn't really have. Kind of what I was saying last podcast, but oh. didn't want to didn't want to <laughs> heed my advice on that. Oh no, definitely, dude. If you can drive, if you have a, if you're mobile, I mean, your job opportunities will increase tenfold. And not only that, uh, employers just like to see on your resume because a lot of times one of the questions is, do you have a oh, not resume but job application is. Do you, have, Do you reliable, have a driver's license? Well, yeah, yeah. A reliable foreign transportation. Because their mm-hmm. biggest thing is they want to know that, hey, if I schedule this dude to come in at 9 o'clock, he's going to be here at 9 o'clock, and he's not going to have an excuse like, oh, the bus was late or whatever. You know, Because yeah. if, if you have your own vehicle, then you're a lot more accountable as to, hey, why weren't you here? You know, So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think that'll help you a lot. Well, also, it's for when I decide to go to uh, WSU Vancouver, then I just it's a 20 minute drive instead of a hour and a half, two hour long bus ride to get there. Oh, wow. So that would be four hours. That would be way too. That would be ridiculous. Jesus. Yeah. Um, I just finished the Canadian food taste test video that I had been spending a while on. Thanks again to Morgan for sending the Cana- the care package, but I also had to uh, get some other... Hopefully you didn't act like a hoser, eh? <laughs> oh, hey, yeah, no, I think it kind of did. I think it kind of... Uh, well, no, I haven't pissed off any Canadians yet. Uh, did cover their uh, national anthem uh, at the end of the uh, video there. I did a uh, old Canada, uh, like a punk rock version. It was... Uh, so sorry yeah. if uh, sorry if uh, it went against any of your uh, your uh, views there of against uh, covering your songs, but uh, did the best I could. Uh, no, you can check that video out by uh, liking my YouTube page or looking at my YouTube page, YouTube.com/slash/dancingwithghosts. I also just did, released a vlog as of today on there as well. Fear of missing out, otherwise known as FOMO. It's uh, it's a it's a thing, people. You you constantly feel like you're missing out on things, so go check that out. You can also check out Mike's YouTube channel where he just released a bunch of movie reviews and uh, uh, teasing his upcoming 10,000 subscriber landmark where uh, yeah. he's doing a fan Q&A. That's uh, YouTube.com slash OCP Communications. Getting all that plugging stuff out of the way here. So uh, we were alerted by like uh, a billion people that season two of the original Robert Stack Unsolved Mysteries is on Amazon Prime. Which is awesome. Woo! I haven't finished. I, yeah. Woo. I, I haven't finished season one yet, but yeah. Yeah, I'm just so. about finished with season one. It's hard for me to watch TV. Uh, that's a lot of time <laughs> that I don't have <laughs> nowadays, honestly. Uh with yeah. how busy I am, five gigs a week and all that kind of stuff. But no, it is on there. They're doing a 
uh, a great job. Um, you know, they almost they they almost released the second season as if the first season was like the old school way of it airing only once a week. You know, one episode yeah. per week. They almost it was almost that length of time between the first season and second season that it was released. Almost like yeah. if you watched only one episode per week you would be up to yeah. season two by now. So Well, yeah, that, that was good. And I was wondering, though, because I was like, why are there like seven seasons of the Dennis Farina show? And I don't even remember there being seven seasons of that show. Do you? No, I thought there... Well, because the original un, Unsolved revamp versus the original video I did a few years ago... In that video, I did some research. I think it was like two seasons, right? Yeah, it was right? supposed to be two seasons. So what happened? Was there like five seasons five that never aired, and then they finally aired on Amazon or something? Well, it's just, just bizarre. Or, or did they just split them up into seasons instead of... Well, what they could have done was uh, the two seasons on... That, that aired on TV could have been like 23 episodes a piece and maybe Amazon broke it down to smaller chunks. I don't know, but who... That's not what it looks like, to be honest, but yeah. Who the it's... fuck is that for at this <laughs> I point? I know, I know. I mean, you have the original Unsolved Mysteries. What what the new one came from? You have the daddy, you have the original, the, yeah. the good one. What... If you're gonna want, if you're gonna watch a shitty watered down crime show, why wouldn't you watch any of the other better ones like CSI or whatever? Like, why would you watch the revamped Unsolved Mysteries when you could watch <laughs> the original that actually had its own tone and its own kind of thing going for it? So yeah, I don't know why that I that's that's weird to me. Um, I don't even know why they even put it up there to be honest. Well, I can see why they would put it up there when there wasn't the original, but now that the original's yeah. up there, it just needs to be bumped off into <laughs> obscurity because there's literally it's the same segments and they're paired. Da- I don't know. It's it's very yeah. it's very weird indeed. Um, it's strange. So also uh, speaking of uh, unsolved mysteries related stuff, uh, this is something I found out about. Uh, few days ago when i was looking on wikipedia checking out uh trying to figure out about the revamp really i was looking at was there seven seasons and i'm like oh no there wasn't and then i found out that there were actually unsolved mysteries tv movies that were spinoffs uh of certain cases that were covered on the show um the first one was called escape from terror the Teresa stamper story and the second one is called uh, From the Files of Unsolved Mysteries, Voice from the Grave. And then there was a third one called The Sleepwalker Killing, which also had From the Files of Unsolved Mysteries title uh, prefix in front of it. And that one has Hillary Swank in it, I believe. Oh, wow. Uh, the Sleepwalker Killing. Now, that's one that's actually available on DVD under the title The Sleepwalker Killing. Now, what's interesting about these is uh, I believe it was uh, John Cosgrove or more like they actually did like they were involved with the show with the, with these TV movies. And I believe some of them even directed uh, some of the films. Yeah, why not? I mean, you have uh, this show, the successful show Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, it's ripe for uh 
TV movie adaptations, uh, I, I would imagine that they would have aired on Lifetime, right? They aired on NBC at first, and then they reruns uh, aired on Lifetime. Oh, that is really cool. Yeah, so that's a piece of uh, information out there for you guys um, to check out. Um, I haven't seen any of them yet. Have you checked any that of them out? I haven't checked any of them out yet either. They're on YouTube, so I was thinking uh, maybe you know Josh and I someday down the road, maybe we could you know talk about them. You're gonna let me review a movie with you, Mike? <laughs> yeah. I thought that was your thing. <laughs> well, it's unsolved mysteries related, so. Yeah, you kind of need me yeah, in there. Yeah. I'm the counterweight. <laughs> It's not really a counterweight with us. We kind of agree on a lot of the same stuff, which makes this show not as interesting. But hey, you know, maybe maybe we can start writing like scripts like this podcast can become scripted and we can like make drama like fake drama uh, like they do on the uh, reality TV shows. I, I, w- I would advise against that. We can you know. pit. I can pit myself against Mike, and we can like have <laughs> like an on podcast uh, drama thing going on. You know, where we get into an argument, and Mike, you hear him throw down his headphones and storm out. <laughs> Fuck this! Fuck this bullshit! I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> and then like the next. So spe- speaking of crazy unsolved mysteries related stuff, I saw this film called Hurricane Bianca with my mom because she's a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race. And the movie stars one of a few of the people who are actually on the show. One of them is, you know, Bianca Del Rio. Now, this is a movie that actually has a good message. It preaches tolerance, you know, for homosexuals and things like that. And I like that. Um, Now, I did not expect this scene to happen, though, because there's a line in the film where Bianca's getting carried away by this redneck into the woods, and she says, What is this Unsolved Mysteries bullshit? (laughs) Oh, wow, that's funny. Yeah, so I I thought that was worth mentioning. I'm always curious. Because I was definitely not expecting that. Yeah, I'm always curious as to, like, what exactly is the, like, social impact uh, in modern day of of the show? Because, like, we kind of live in this bubble where I surround myself with all things Unsolved Mysteries, and and the fans are constantly posting Unsolved Mysteries-related things on our page, so I know it means something to them. But I wonder, just in popular culture, like, what, where does it still stand as a show? Is, is Is it seen as one of those kind of, you know, decent shows of the 90s that's kind of like, oh, bad acting and bad special effects and the host had a scary voice and that's kind of all it's known for? Or does it does it have a more deeper and significant impact, I wonder? I, I, would think it ha- I would think that it has a deeper and more significant impact. I mean, look at how many five-star reviews are for the first season on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Well, Matthew McConaughey got got a start on there, so. Well, there was a lot of other, you know, uh, DPs and other directors and things like that, and some other actors and actresses. One of them, I believe, was Stephanie Weir, who was uh, from Mad TV. She was in one of the reenactments I remember seeing. Cheryl Hines was in one of them, who became uh, who played Cheryl David, Larry David's wife, in Curb Your Enthusiasm. She was in one of them. Oh yeah, yeah. So anyway, let's get to the stories here. Um, we're going to start off the first one. We haven't really talked about the order, but I guess uh, I'm going to do shuffle on this one. Uh, first story is going to be about a little boy named Jared Peters. I saw this one, and I thought this would be a good one to uh, talk about. Um, 
This one is is yet another one where the grandma or the, the some kind of the a, mother. Well, no, this is the you know the mother of the of the daughter who had her kid taken away. Yeah, Jared's grandmother. Yeah, exactly. What I initially said. I know. Don't you correct <laughs> me, Mike. Drama time. <laughs> Drama. Okay, now here we go. Uh, uh, this is yet another case where the grandma, aka mother. Um, uh, she 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 interferes and and really does some crazy shit and it's just like what is this lady's pro you know anyway let's get into the story and then I'll bitch about the grandmother December eleventh nineteen ninety Hobbs New Mexico a young mother accompanied by her second husband uh, holds a lonely roadside vigil she's waiting on her mother and her four year old son by nightfall there's still no sign of them. Quote, an hour went by and we waited. Every time a car would pass, we'd get nervous. But I just couldn't leave, and I couldn't go back home. I knew she took off with him. I knew she wasn't coming back. By midnight, LaDonna was was confronted with the disturbing reality that her mother had kidnapped her son. The background of this carefully planned abduction is almost as bizarre as the abduction itself, and that is an understatement. Yeah. Jared Peters was four years old when he was abducted by his grandmother. He was born on November 5th, 1986. His parents were still teens, and by that time, um, the marriage had fallen apart pretty much by the time Jared was born. LaDonna took a full-time job and went back to school. She asked her mother, Pat, to help care for Jared. Pat agreed, even though she had been violently opposed to the divorce. Quoting LaDonna here, My mother was the type of person, as long as she was getting her way, everything was fine. We were good friends as long as I was doing what she thought I should be doing. But when I separated with Brian, which was the husband, I moved in with my dad, and she thought, Well, if you can't do what I think you should do, you're just terrible. So she went from my friend to my worst enemy. Yet again, an understatement. Uh, LaDonna would have been horrified if she had known how her son was spending his days with Pat. Pat began using home video cassettes to expose him to satanic imagery and the occult. Quote, There were moments when Jared would come back not acting like himself. He acted like there was something wrong and he needed to rely on me, but something was holding him back. Over a period of months, Pat began taping odd conversations with Jared. It was all part of a master plan. In September of 1989, Pat began playing edited tapes of the recordings with Jared to a receptive audience, LaDonna's estranged husband, Brian. And I loved the scene that they shot of, um, it shows Pat, LaDonna's mother, in this darkly lit, like, 1970s style, like, kitchen with yeah. uh, with Brian, the estranged uh, husband. And just the lighting and the mood was just classic Unsolved Mysteries, you know? it just Well, I, I love the scene where the kid is just sitting there uh, on the floor watching the satanic tapes. So they just put together, like, this little... Because it's such an eerie and surreal moment. You're just like, what? And, and it's like, it's just, it reminds me of the Bobby Baskin case. It's like another kooky grandmother. What is up with this? Yeah. And <laughs> like, like, you would think like it'd be like one case. All right. All right. One case is the exception of some grandmother who decides to blame Satanism and Satan on, on certain things that are happening with their grandchildren. And then they want the grandchild. So then they make shit up. 
and get custody and so on. And you would think like, oh, you know, that really that wouldn't happen again. But then you have this case and then you're just like, what is up with this? This is I this believe, is crazy. I believe it was like episode three when we talked about Kurt McFall and you brought up how yeah. in the 80s there was this whole sat- satanic panic. Yeah. yeah, you weren't bullshitting about that because that no. that is weirdly enough because you never really hear about it anymore. That weirdly no. enough has been a theme in a lot of these segments that we covered. Is is some some form of Satanism? I, I keep thinking of uh, Dana Carvey's character in Saturday Night, Night yeah, Live, exactly. the church, church lady. lady, Satan, the devil. <laughs> you know who else has lips? The devil. <laughs> uh, you know, mm, I don't know. Perhaps Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, dude, like like in the segment, they, they're literally showing this little boy and there's like a pentagram with the, 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 goat, the goat head in the pentagram and they're showing like this. You got uh, Anton LaVey, you know, the guy who's the yeah. head of the church of Satan. Yeah, my dog doesn't like what we're talking about right now. <laughs> he takes he takes umbrage with Satan. Or, or maybe he's possessed by Satan. He, maybe I Satan. think he is. I think he is <laughs> Legion, honestly. I really do. So... Uh, you know, Brian, as she's playing, and, and by the way, I mean, Pat, you know, she's kind of a crafty old bitch because she's editing these tapes. Like, yeah. she, she'd be like, you, you know, like, did you have a good day today or, or, or something like that? Or, she, she's coaching the kid like uh, uh, Bobby Baskin's grandmother. Yeah. Yeah, did. She'd get the kid to say yes, and then she'd edit the tape together to where it'd be like, she'd ask, like, did, did they was, touch you? Yeah. And then they'd edit in. And she was like a total yes. bitch, too, because she was all like, don't nod your head. You need to say, say yes. Yeah. You need to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> so Brian was kind of in disbelief, but. Pat was like, I, it, the tapes are right here. He's saying it. So I would have been like, I'm sorry. I, this is too absurd. I, I don't believe any of this. I'm sorry. I so really don't. Brian, the dad, said Jared would say there was a mean house and this monster was mean to him and take him to a pool like a bathtub and molest him and spank him and make him do things that were bad. And when I heard this, I was mad. I mean, I was very angry. At Pat's urging, Brian took action. During one of his son's visits, Brian decided to not let Jared go back home with LaDonna. Um, LaDonna said, I went to my mother's house to try to talk to her and find out what was going on with Brian because I know that my mother and Brian had been talking and had been staying at my mom's house quite a bit. Now, Um, the recreation there... I, I, I think it. I think it. The reenactment there. I, I think it's Ladonna actually acting. I think. Yeah, I think it's the real. She's she's not a good actress. Not great. Not great. It's it's pretty bad. I myself did in, notice that. Or she, you know, knocks on the door and comes in and st- starts speaking to the actress who's playing her mom. And yeah, it was pretty noticeably terrible. I have to be honest. Yeah, you know, they they say at the very beginning of the old uh, the old broadcast at least um whenever possible we we got the real um victims or whatever to re- to participate in the recreated events and that was the case in this. And it is nice in a way because you feel yeah. you feel like it's less of a reenactment and and more of like oh this is we're seeing what really happened right here in front of our eyes instead of a recreation. So Yeah, but I mean when the acting is that bad then it does kind of 
hurt the you know shatter the illusion so to speak but um well and then there's the golden rule of unsolved mysteries the better the acting the less interviews are used and the less um yeah dialogue of robert stack narrating over it is used the worse the acting the more interview audio is used the more voiceover work is used to cover up the bad acting <laughs> um that's kind of their rule i mean they've even stated that i think john cosgrove stated that one time like that's kind of their golden rule um so lodonna went on to say that uh she just kept getting crazier and crazier the mother pat she said i couldn't sleep i couldn't eat i called constantly to find out something what was going on and they would never tell me nothing which is her words i know that's a double negative um they would never tell me nothing so that means that they would tell you something um anyway at a custody hearing in december of 1989 pat farmer's her last name is farmer by the way pat farmer's audio tapes of conversations with jared were entered into evidence Ladonna and her fiance neil were accused of emotional and sexual abuse and involvement in say in a satanic cult for the first Which is like the bobby baskin case yeah yeah, yeah exactly very yeah, similar very similar uh, for the first time, LaDonna realized the full scope of her mother's manipulation. Quote, my mother made it out to look like I was the devil in disguise, like I was the worst thing on this earth. Why would she try to hurt me like this is beyond me. I'd never expected her to accuse me of being a devil worshiper. She knew that I'd always been involved in church. The things that were said about me were so embarrassing and such a letdown and it hurt my feelings so bad. I was just at a total loss for anything to say. Yeah. I mean, it, it even leaves me speechless just thinking about, like, what if my mom, you know, it's like, did this to my family? It's like, I just can't even, it, 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 I don't really, I can't even imagine it. It's just unimaginable to me. How yeah. could a mother do that to their, to their, to their daughter? And it seems like, um, it seems like whenever these kind of accusations and stuff get thrown at you, uh, regardless of how ridiculous it sounds on the mother's end, the judge has to take it all into consideration. Yeah. So even though these things are being levied against you, you, you know, you reacting like, what? Are you serious? A devil worshiper? And like laughing. That's not really convincing enough no. to the judge. You have to prove that you are not doing that stuff. Um so and how do you do that? Right. How, how do you prove that you're not doing this? Yeah. You, how do you prove that this tape is bullshit? You that can't it's just you can't just tell a judge. Come on, judge. Come on. Really? Really? Because, I mean, come on, judge. Really is not really a uh, defense. no, that's that's not a defense. It's not a legal defense. Unfortunately, it should be. But it's not because the judge has to look at it. Oh, like, well, maybe she is. Oh, a well, well, she, she uh, used the come on, really, judge uh, defense. <laughs> so, uh your I'm honor i would like to yourself. enter into evidence the come on judge really defense um right now i will exhibit this judge really come on okay well he used the come on judge really uh defense and that that does actually make a lot of sense in this case and uh pat you kind of sound like a fucking idiot so uh uh rule in defense of uh ladonna anyway uh dude it seemed like all of it was being taken away. All my dreams and hopes for him were coming crashing down on top of me. I kept thinking they were going to change their minds, but they didn't. LaDonna was allowed to visit her son for just one hour a week under the watchful eye of a social worker. 
LaDonna said, I tried to make him feel like he was the best thing in the world, which he was to me. We'd play and I'd take him new toys and we'd have a good time, but it was just so hard to leave. It was so hard to walk away from him. Brian was also allowed to see Jared once a week, and during one of the visits, the truth of Pat's deception began to emerge. Quoting Brian, It was just to us two, and we were having a good time, and he was finally opening up to me. He said Neil, which was LaDonna's fiancé, he said Neil and LaDonna weren't hurting him, and that they weren't doing anything that Pat had told him to say, and um, basically said that Pat was telling him to say all these things. When Brian heard that, he immediately contacted the sheriff's department. Pat retaliated by charging that he, too, was into Satanism. (laughs) (laughs) Satan! Satan? (laughs) Satan! Satan! You're into Satan, too! They're all Satanists! Everyone's a Satanist. It's like the Salem witch trials, but yeah, really. back then, you know, now you would think, oh, we, that that's just that would never happen. But it's the same kind of thing. But it just doesn't have people getting burned at the stake. Well, thankfully, in this case, it didn't happen because the sheriff's investigators determined that Pat's allegations were groundless. After two months, LaDonna was reunited with Jared. However, for some God knows reason, the court did grant Pat, the grandma, yeah, one day a week really visitation. made me scratch my head. I was like, you granted her visitation rights after she's making these accusations and and doing all of this to try to take the kid away from her mother. I, I don't I don't think she deserves visitation rights. I honestly didn't know that grandparents had any kind of entitlement to visit their grandchildren whatsoever, honestly. Yeah, I didn't know that either. I mean, I, I to me, I thought it is the mother and the father have the rights for visitation, and anybody outside of that immediate family is just kind of accessory, you know? Like, they just, if if they want the grandparents to see the kid, then the grandparents didn't get to see yeah. the Then the grandparents get to see the kid. Now, if there's some kind of a legally, like a guardian kind of situation where the, the, the Pat was made a legal guardian... Uh, they, the Unsolved Mysteries didn't really go into that, but maybe if you're a legal guardian, um, it, legally you have some grounds for uh, visitation rights, but they didn't say any of that. Uh, and again, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that grandparents, ha- I didn't know they had that right to s- have visitation. Apparently they do, according to this case. So on December 11th, 1990, a scheduled visitation day for Pat was coming up. She wanted to take Jared out of on an out-of-town trip. To Lubbock. To Lub- Lubbock. 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 Somewhere in Texas, I'm guessing. Um, yep, Lubbock, Texas. So LaDonna... shopping. LaDonna said, um, we were talking and she wanted to take Jared to Lubbock. And I told her no, and she got furious. And I said, I'm sorry, you just can't take him out. And she said, all right, and we agreed to meet out at the intersection and we agreed for me to pick him up at nine o'clock pat never brought jared back she and jared have not been seen since um quoting Ladonna here uh and it's just so unbelievable after all that we went through to get him back she would be so hateful and so crazy and so mean to take him away again but we have an update and this, this update was even embedded in the show, so it happened, uh, yep. you know, during that time. 
On August 20th, 1992, Pat and her grandson were taken into custody by the FBI and Salt Lake City Police. Jared would finally be going home. Informed that Jared was safe, LaDonna drove all the way from New Mexico to Utah to welcome him back. She was stoked to have him back. The dad was uh, stoked to have him back, too. Those are my words, obviously. They didn't use the word stoked. Uh, today, <laughs> imagine Robert Stack saying <laughs> they were totally stoked to have him back. <laughs> they said it was a righteous time. <laughs> um, Excellent. Today, Brian and LaDonna share the hope that the events of the last two years won't have a lasting effect on Jared. Well, let's see here. Uh, 19, Satanism. 1992, uh, the Super Nintendo had been out for a year. A bunch of great games were out <laughs> on that system. You had the uh, regular NES where games were still easy to come by. So just get, get him an NES or SNES. Uh, arcades were in their heyday in 1992. Uh, he was born in 86. So that makes him six years old, the prime age to be getting into all that. Uh, music was still like people gave a shit about it and bought music so uh live acts were in no short supply great live acts touring the nation in 92 what kind of movies were out in uh, the early 90s late 80s that kids could really enjoy well i mean i mean 92 i think aladdin came out soon fucking aladdin if i remember correctly what other? Um, what are some other good early '90s movies? That well, I, I know. Well, I, I I'm fond of the Ninja Turtles live action movies, but those came out. Uh, the first film came out in 1990. The second one came out in 1991. Um, so you know those are already on home video at the time, so you could probably watch them on VHS. So there, there's a lot of. Uh, I don't really. I don't know if T2 is really kid friendly, <laughs> but a lot of kids saw it anyway. So, yeah, I, I think Jared's turned out just fine. Uh, yeah. I, I think he turned out just fine. Um, you know, He wasn't in it as long as Bobby. I, I think he was He was only with the, the grandmother for like two months or something. So it wasn't like the long period of time that Bobby was with uh, his grandparents. And uh, he actually ended up getting taken back to his mom in, in a fairly short amount of time. So whatever brainwashing or whatever that was going on there could have easily been uh, erased or put on put on the back burner or in the back of his head. Uh, well, gee, unlike you know with Bobby, what what was Mike talking about when he mentioned Bobby? Well, I'm glad you asked, folks. If you would like to hear an extra segment called the kidnapping of Bobby Baskin, basically. Uh, this case times 10 in intensity. You can and I'm become, pissed off. So. And Mike's <laughs> pissed off, which is another added bonus. You can listen to Mike solo rant on that on our Patreon as a bonus segment to our loyal Patreon fans. If you want to visit us at patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries, I think that's in the $3 tier if you want to donate $3. Yeah. Uh, you we get- also have another bonus segment that I did by myself, which ties into the case that we talked about last week, uh, to the case of the crazy lady with the evil eye. Charles Southern, yeah. There's yeah. an additional case on that. But yeah, uh, it's it's worth it because Mike actually made that rant just as an aside. He didn't even ha- think it was going to ha- have anything to do with the podcast. So he got really... 
He got really into it. He got really passionate about it, really angry. Uh, and uh, then I had to remove it. It's controversial. Yeah, because, it's kind because of, Bobby got Bobby Baskin got in touch with you, and that was kind of a you know we've generally had positive experiences with people from the show yeah. being on our podcast, but that that along with the Cosgrove Moyer incident was one of the more negative ones. Although it didn't, he didn't bring legal. It wasn't shit as in. negative as uh, John and Terry, yeah. but it was just. I don't know. The controversy was it was bringing on my channel it was just I didn't really want it. We so we honestly <laughs> figured it would have been better to have made it a Patreon thing to where only a very few people can even access it, and that way it's kind of out of the you know you can't get to it unless you are become a contributor to Patreon. And, and I still feel the same way that I did in that video. Maybe I was harsh with some of the words that I said, but you know I I, I still think. You know, I still think that's kind of how it went down, but that's just my personal yeah. opinion. So if you want to go check uh, that out, I would recommend it. I don't know. I don't have anything else to say about this case, uh, except I'm glad that the kid got reunited with his mom. And, uh, this was a good one. It, 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 had, every, oh, yeah. it had everything. It had uh, weird satanic shit at the beginning, which was interesting. had a crazy had grandmother. With the, yeah, with a grandmother. Uh, I, I like the quote from the daughter where she says, she's like your best friend, uh, but then she was my best friend. But then, you know, I never thought that she could become, you know, my worst enemy. Uh, you never think about that with your mom. And and that, that's honestly pretty scary if you think about it. Like, what, 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 you know, what if your mom turned on you? Like, I, I couldn't handle that. Like, she's, a, well, she's a support beam for me right now. So... You know, these old ladies need shit to do with their time, apparently. And sometimes they turn that into a malevolent thing. Um, so let's go on to our next segment here, which is uh, one off of the Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's from it's from uh, season one. It's uh, from, I think, episode four. And it's the second segment, I believe, after the uh, Queen Mary segment. And this one is about Joe Shepard. Now, it's a wanted segment. And I wanted to talk about this one because, man, this guy is a scumbag, despicable piece of shit. And also is a very memorable segment to me because of how the body was discovered and where it was discovered. Now, uh, Joe Shepard of Telco Plains, Tennessee, is wanted for the murders of 15-year-old Roxanne Woodson and 14-year-old Kathy Cowers. On the night of February 27, 1978, Roxanne and Shepard, then 26 were in the car with two friends when Shepard tried to make sexual advances on Roxanne. Roxanne! You don't have to put on the red, on the red light. light. Uh, then 26 uh, were in the car together with two friends, and he tried to make sexual advances on Roxanne. She refused, and he tried to attack her. She escaped the car and ran into the woods. Shepard chased after her, and Roxanne was never seen again. The night after Roxanne was reported missing, authorities went to Shepard's home to bring him in for questioning. Shepard asked if he could change his shoes, and the officers let him. While in his room, Shepard reached for his shotgun instead of for, you know, the tie, instead of for the shoelaces on his shoes. He reached for his shotgun. The officers noticed this and fired two warning shots at him. Eventually, they were able to wrestle the gun away from him, and, he was, and then he was then brought in for interrogation. Shepard told authorities that on the night that Roxanne vanished, he tried to seduce her, but was unsuccessful. He did admit to chasing her into the woods, but claimed he had lost track of her and couldn't find her. And Shepard was charged with assaulting a police officer, but released on bond. Now, this is important because that's his first story. 
That, that's his first account of what happened. Hundreds of searchers tried to locate Roxanne, but were unsuccessful. After several days, the search was then called off. And on April 8, 1978, Shepard's mother noticed her dogs around a certain pile of debris in the backyard. Now, this this is a, such a gruesome sight. Now, the music is definitely used really well here. But also, I, I can't help it. Like they, they, They're like focusing in on these dogs, sniffing around, and... There's this dog that has like these just it has not been neutered. So it's just dog balls. <laughs> just right yeah, just right front and center. I did not notice that in this segment, Mike. Yeah. That was some kind of Freudian thing for you, I think. No. Absolutely. You have not. a fascination with dog balls, admit it. <laughs> no. I, I think it's because I, I, wa- I'm, I'm, I watch them on my computer. And my face is like super right close to it. So I'm not like – so it, it, it's one of those things. I, I watched it for like the third time and then I noticed that. So I didn't notice it from the first time around or anything like that. I just kind of notice little things like that when I watch segments. Did, did, you, more than did, you, did you wish that it had been in 3D so it would have been 3D dog balls? No, I don't. Okay. Absolutely not. No way. That's just gross. So that's the main thing that kind of just, I was like, that's just, that's gross. Well, and I, then thought, the I thought you were gonna I thought you were gonna go towards like the the chick's hand sticking out of the pile. Well, of that too, absolutely. So I'm saying you have the dog balls in your face, <laughs> and then and then you have the, the the hands that are sticking up out of the ground. It's kind of life in a way. It's kind of a metaphor for life. It's like dog balls in your face and a dead hand, and then that's it. That's really all there is in life. <laughs> Dog balls and dead hands. Yeah, that's a bull song um, waiting to be written. Yeah, so uh, Shepard's mother noticed her dogs around a certain pile of debris in the backyard. She moved some of the debris and saw two hands sticking out of the ground. Now, this is Shepard's mom's place. I mean, come on. Can you just imagine being in her shoes there? Just like, oh, what are the dogs sniffing around at? Oh, my God. <laughs> Honey, did you kill some prostitutes again? No, Mama, they wasn't prostitutes. They was just regular women. When are you going to go to church and meet you a nice church girl and stop killing them women? Soon, Mama. Yes, yeah, I don't so, know. What yeah, so, yeah, so she moved some of the debris, saw the two hands, and the authorities determined that the body, which had been partially buried in the ground, was that of Roxanne Woodson. At that point, authorities charged Shepard with first-degree murder. Shepard was arrested at his, at his mother-in-law's home. During the second interrogation, Shepard then changed his story. He claimed that he was chasing Roxanne in the woods, and she fell and hit her head on a rock. Uh, bullshit! <laughs> he, he told investigators that he panicked and returned to the car with his friends. He said that he returned later that night and put Roxanne back in his car. He then took her back to his house and buried her in the backyard. What? What? What went through his head that he thought that for a second that the cops are going to buy that bullshit? You're not going to call 911 or an ambulance or anything. You're just like, oh, she's dead. Uh, I panicked. I'm going to bury her in my mom's yard. What? Well, I didn't want the animals to get to her. I'm sorry. Bullshit. After being charged with Roxanne's murder, Shepard was implicated in Ka- in Kathy Clowers' 1976 disappearance. Uh, when questioned, Shepard stated that he not only knew Kathy, but he also knew where she was buried. 
He then took the investigators to the location. They eventually found her clothing and remains. Both victims had their pants wrapped around their heads. And on April 17th, 1978, actually, before I, I finished up on that, I wanted to mention uh, the investigator who was there. And he has a recollection of what happened on the scene. And it was so chilling when he, he says that he says that it was like he was proud of himself that he had. He, he, you know, he showed no emotion, no remorse. And it was like he was proud of himself that he had provided a body. Yeah, your typical sociopath, you know, who doesn't, they, who, who can't, uh, they have no capacity have to have emotions in the normal, appropriate way that a, a, a quote-unquote normal human being would have. Like emotions, yeah. Yeah, any of your other serial killers are extremely Robotic, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, very inhuman. No compassion. A mouth-breathing moron. <laughs> well, not really like that, but it, it, it's 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 still just as unsettling. Now, on April 17, 1978, Shepard was formally indicted with the murder of Kathy Clowers. On July 17, 1978, while awaiting, awaiting trial in the county jail, Shepard escaped with two other inmates after one of the inmates feigned an illness and locked in the jailer. Uh, the that two was, other that inmates was a cool were, scene. Uh, I, I would yeah. not brush over that scene. That was a cool scene how they yeah, did that. Yeah, it was that. a cool scene how they did that with reenactment. Now, I don't think prisons are like that nowadays. Yeah, I don't know, man. I've seen that almost got away with it show too many times to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another good one. Uh, the two other inmates were ultimately caught, but Joe Shepard, however, has remained missing. But there's an update. He was captured. Shepard was arrested in London, Ontario, Canada, under the alias Joseph Tripp, after a viewer contacted police. At the time, Shepard was living in a government housing project with his common-law wife and two children. In 1991, he was returned to prison in Tennessee. He was convicted of sec the second-degree murder of Clowers, but after an appeal, the charge was lowered to involuntary manslaughter. In the spring of 1991, he was convicted of the first-degree murder of Woodson and sentenced to death and which was later commuted to a life sentence. Shepard died in prison of natural causes in 2010. Which is good, but why do I get the sense that this guy kind of like didn't? He might have killed. He might have killed even more people than he was convicted for. Too. It sounds like he might have been a serial killer, because if he's done more than one, you know, victim, they all had pants, their pants wrapped around their heads. And, and how are these people, like, and this is not the first time I've heard this, how are these people able to find wives and, like, it, it, okay, yeah. it's, 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 like, it's like they do this crazy, like, fringe of society shit, and they, it's like almost, om only at that point do they, like, snap out of it and go, oh, that's crazy, I shouldn't have done that, I want to run from the law now and start a normal life and have a wife and kid, that's happened so many times, where somebody kills somebody, and then they go on the run, they, they have a, a wife, uh, and kids, and, and that even happened with a woman, uh, this woman who, I forget the exact name of the segment, but she went on this, like, spree of, uh, bank robberies, and she, she was, uh, an accessory to this, uh, guy that she was with, and she went off and she became a fabric of the society that, uh, the city that she moved to, started a family, had grandkids and shit, for 30 years went, uh, you know, unarrested, and then they finally, you know, caught up with her and arrested her ass, and her- Well, yeah. 
How do that these people do this shit? Like, what? Like, 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 it's like they snap and then they snap back. Like, that's so I, I weird. Guess. It is strange. Um, it, it is one of the definite mysteries with these type of individuals. Um, it, it does make you pause. Now, I, one that really stands out to me is the BTK killer and how for years and years and years he eluded police. And then he had been living this, you know, quaint life. He was a pastor at a local church. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you got Gacy, who's a fucking clown. Yeah. With balloons. Although that does seem to make a lot of sense that uh, a clown would be like like murderous, you know. But maybe uh, maybe that's where we got that stereotype from. That we clowns probably are... got that is from from Gacy. Yeah, that clowns are secretly evil because maybe nobody really thought that before, you know. We got Bundy, who was actually a really good-looking guy, and you know he was actually on the dating game. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Well, I don't remember it from the airing. Like yeah, I remember hearing about it. So that was a pretty short one. Um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else left to say about it. I mean, I'm glad the no, guy got caught. No, it's just one I wanted to mention is because of the whole thing with the the body buried on the mother's property. I just thought, and the fact that he was just so cold. Yeah. When he's just like, oh, there you go, it's his body. Yeah, I mean, it, there, there's um, I forget what I was watching, but I was watching something about serial killers, and they were trying to. Making of a murderer? No, it's it, they discovered some some way of being able to determine uh, who was a serial, who was a likely uh, murderer or sociopath, and who wasn't. And they they would sit them in front of this almost like viewfinder, and they put their head into it, and they showed these words that would have emotionally charged reactions, like rape. Uh, oh. You know, they they'd show other words like I think they showed like uh, like the N word or some shit on there, and people would would uh, and they would like have all these diodes on the these per- people's heads, and and they'd show their brain waves, and hmm. and most normal people would would react, their brain waves would go up when they would see these emotionally charged words, um, and then they would have uh, they I think they had some like jailed uh, like murder or something they had they had him do it. And there was nothing flatline for every word. No, Interesting. no emotional reaction to any any of those words. Um, this is one of the many uh, kind of theories that's been thrown out about killers, uh, serial killers especially, is that they also tend to have a much lower uh, resting heart rate than normal people. Um, and hmm. they, they almost need to kill and, and to go out on these conquests to raise their blood pressure and to raise their pulse up to where they even feel alive because they are so, uh, they feel so much more, uh, I guess, I, I don't know, sedentary or like, I don't know. that These are just some of the things I've heard over time and they could all be complete bullshit, but I know there's something to the psychology of a murderer because it's just not the norm. No, it's not. It is not. So there's got to be something to it, but do I know what it is? Uh, no, I do not. All I know is that Mike knows where Bigfoot is, and he's not telling people. Um, so, oh, look how quiet he is over there. Not even trying to defend it anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there's right. nothing to defend. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I know. There's nothing to defend. You live in the in in Bigfoot's backyard in Vancouver, mm-hmm. Washington, and you mm-hmm. you say you know nothing. Uh huh. Sure, buddy. 
Moving on to our last case of Tommy Gibson. This is one me and Mike had been wanting to talk about for a long time, and I know we've referenced we, it. We've referenced it, like, numerous times already, but we just completely were just like, oh, that one case, and we didn't really remember exactly what the name uh, was of the kid who went missing or, or the sheriff, yeah. deputy sheriff, who was accused of um, killing his kid. Yeah, uh, spoiler-free, by the way, and you're not going to find out what happens till the end here. Um, this guy was accused of killing his kid. What a horrible accusation. I mean, he says he didn't yeah. do it. You know, let's let's dig into this. Although, I think if you listen to our previous podcast, we probably already spoiled it. But whatever. Yeah, we already spoiled it. Whatever. Hey. For new listeners. <laughs> I love how I try to do, like, a professional thing here. And, it, you know, every time I try, it just blows up in my face. I, I, th- I, th- I think it adds to the charm of the podcast, though. That's really the only positive thing you can really say about it. It adds to the charm, yeah. and that's really all there is to be said. Um, but This no. is still a great case because of it's just one of those things where you, you got to hear it to believe it. You do. And it's juicy, like a, like a steak that's cooked medium. Stop talking about food. Oh, uh, I know. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> no, 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 I got a strict no food talk rule for the rest of this. Yeah, episode. same here. Um, okay, so on March 1991, Azalea, Oregon, a two-and-a-half-year-old boy is missing. For three days, hundreds of searchers scour the ragged terrain for any sign of the toddler. They find nothing. The missing boy is Tommy Gibson, son of Douglas County Sheriff's Deputy Larry Gibson, Quote, I always felt like I could handle any situation, and since I haven't, and since then, I haven't been the same. None of us have. That would be the father, Larry Gibson, talking about the disappearance of his son. Six weeks after Tommy disappeared, the case took a chilling and dramatic turn. Authorities began to perceive Larry Gibson as not a grieving father, but as a prime suspect in Tommy's disappearance. Last May, the Oregon State Police filed this 31-page affidavit which concludes, quote, Larry Gibson is the only person with the opportunity and known motive to cause the disappearance of Tommy Gibson. This pits Larry against the state police. Unsolved Mysteries investigated both sides of this story, and we're going to begin with Larry Gib- Gibson's account on the morning of March 18, 1981. Okay, now Larry's saying... When I came out of the house, Tommy was playing in the front yard in front of the porch. I stopped by and talked to him and told him to stay in the yard and wait for his sister, and then they could play when she was out. I was carrying a handgun with me, a forty-five automatic, because I was going off into the mountains alone. I started to cross the yard into the timber down the fence. Just as I was doing that, I saw a stray cat wandering around, and we were having a lot of problems with stray cats in that area. Me and the landlord tried to take the cats to the Humane Society, and the Humane Society didn't have room for them. And finally, we got to where we had to start shooting them. I waited until I was in a fairly safe spot, and I shot at this cat, this stray cat. I thought I had hit it, but then when I went to check on it, I saw that it ran away, and it went down the hill. So I knew that I had missed. I'm just thinking about that. Like, how many fucking cats do you have on your property if you have to resort to shooting them yeah i know it's kind of kind of a weird thing to think of some kind of like like harem of uh stray cats just taking over you know out there where you live in oregon Uh, i mean you hear of packs of dogs but 
like just stray cats everywhere that are well, just you know, such a such a such a threat actually, that they need to be shot. When I lived uh, back a few years ago, when I lived in another area of Jacksonville, um, it was in this neighborhood, this more kind of I guess uh, older neighborhood. Um, not one of those kind of like suburban neighborhoods where all the houses were built within the last 20 years. These are houses that were built in the 20s and 30s and all, and they'd all been renovated, whatever, historic part of town, I guess you could say. And there mm -hmm. actually was a glut of black cats that were all over this neighborhood. Uh, they'd be in the backs of our yards. They'd be hiding under our houses. Um, but, I mean, they didn't really bother me. I thought they were kind of cute. I mean, I wasn't going to feed them or anything, yeah. but they were just chilling, you know? They were just... Because that's what I'm saying. Why do they need to be shot? I mean, that's the kind of... I mean, unless they were getting into, like, the garbage and they were... Yeah. I mean, that's really the only thing I can think of. Or is, like... swiping at the kid or something, or or, or, they were real, or they were dangerous strays, like that awful movie Strays with Timothy Busfield. I'm sorry. Nothing you can do, no matter how many unique camera shots or angles or whatever you do, you're not going to make cats scary to me. I'm sorry. I, I just... No. <laughs> Did you do a review <laughs> of that one? I haven't, but it is one of the worst films I remember seeing. Now, I know there are people who are fans of it to each their own. I just, it just, uh, pussy doesn't scare me. I'm sorry. Pussy not only does not scare me, it sometimes entices me. Oh, went for the oh! easy joke. Went for the easy joke. Hey, hey, hey. What's, what's worse than having a uh, lobster on your piano, a crab on your organ? Hey, 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 hey. I got a million of them. I'll be here all night. Uh, sorry about that, folks. Back to the regularly scheduled program. So I've described to you the situation that Larry has laid out to where he shot at a stray cat, and the stray cat ran away. So then his, at that point, wife Judith said, I heard Larry shoot the cat, and I was looking right in the area where he had left, and my thought came to my mind was, gee, I hope Larry knows where Tommy is. And shortly after the shot, in a matter of seconds, I heard Tommy playing on the porch. After Larry shot at the cat, he looked for the used shell casing. After being unable to find it, he began jogging. Quote, I jogged for time, not for distance. I went 22 minutes up the driveway and turned around and came back home. Larry was gone for just over 47 minutes. Judy asked me if Tommy had been with me, and then she told me that she hadn't seen him for over half an hour, and that she, uh, my daughter and brother, had been searching for him. This is what Larry said. Within uh, an hour, two dozen people were searching for Tommy. It is during this most crucial time in the search for Tommy that investigators feel Larry Gibson's actions seemed extremely suspicious. Quoting Larry again, It was getting time for me to go to work, and I felt that we were going to find Tommy in an area that would be embarrassingly obvious. I really didn't think at the time that it was going to be a big deal, and that he'd be fine. So I went in the house, took a fast shower, and got into uniform. Larry was told by his supervisor, however, not to report to work. A short time later, while searchers combed the woods, Larry drove off in his patrol car. Again, quoting Larry, At this time, I began to become suspicious that someone had taken Tommy off my property, so I got into my patrol car and drove two miles to the southbound rest area off I-5. And I checked the rest area and checked the area and uh, had no and, and no one had dropped off Tommy in any kind of condition. And then I checked the northbound rest area and went back to the house for a total of five miles. End quote. Now, you know, 
if in his defense, if his kid goes missing, you know, in his his uh, deputy or the the sheriff tells him not to report into work. Fuck you, man. I'm going off. I'm looking yeah, for my exactly. kid. I don't care what you tell me. My yeah. kid's life is more important. You know, I'm going off searching for him. I don't have Precisely. to. I don't got to account. I don't got to check in with you. You know, you're not a part of this family. So I get that. I get him going off anyway and, and doing that. Did but, he have to use his patrol car, though? I mean, uh, if can I'm he technically for, have done all this stuff off duty? If I'm looking for my kid and, and I'm and I'm already a police officer, you know, I, I might take the the uh, patrol car just as a, a form of gravitas, yeah. you know, like I, I'm the law, bitch. Where's this kid, you know, instead of just yeah. taking an, my normal car. Uh-huh. But then we got Lieutenant Rusty Simpson of the Oregon State Police who chimed in and said, Days after the disappearance of Tommy Gibson, Larry was interviewed by the FBI out of Eugene, Oregon. He told them at that time that he never left the property after returning from his job. Subsequent investigations determined that there was a discrepancy in mileage in his patrol car. When confronted with that fact, he admitted that he did in fact leave the residence during the afternoon of the 18th. When questioning Judy about Larry leaving the property, she stated that that afternoon... Larry told her that he was going to Glendale to check on his private car. So now he's kind of mincing words with mm, detectives, where things yeah. uh, things get a little little uh, slimy at that point, you know. Dicey. Why? Yeah, dicey's a better word. Um, but then the wife chimes into his defense. It makes me angry that the state police turn everything I say around. They're constantly looking for inconsistencies in anything I say. I know that whatever I tell them. Or whenever I tell them something, they're not going to believe me anyway. They're just going to disregard it. So, and this is so ironic. You'll you'll find out why soon enough that this is such a bit of irony, where she's all d- defending him and all of that. So seven weeks into the investigation, the de- the detectives finally confronted Larry. Um, quoting Larry, they expressed the opinion that I had accidentally shot or killed my son. And then worrying about my job and standing in community in the community concealed that fact. And I answered that that's not what happened, but I could see how that's possible. Being objective, I said I could see how they could have happened upon that. And I said that's possible because anytime you fire a gun, anything can happen. But we looked and Tommy wasn't down there and we didn't find a body and we didn't move a body. But I said it's possible and I'm still living with that. End quote. Larry Gibson claimed that he jogged for 47 minutes. Now, what happened during those 47 minutes became the focal point of the affidavit filed by the Oregon State Police. The account outlines one possible theory, um, which uh, authorities believe accounts for the time gaps and other inconsistencies in Larry's story. Larry Gibson claimed that when he... Um, fired off at the cat, the cat ran off into the weeds, and he assumed that he missed. A dead cat was, however, found in that area. A forensic examination found that the cat was shot through the heart and lungs. The theory states that the bullet passed through the cat and struck Tommy as he played nearby. Unaware that his son had been shot, Larry began his job. He claims that he covered a dis- uh, his jog, not his job, my, my bad, <laughs> typo there. Uh, he began his jog. He claims that he covered a distance of two and a half miles in 47 minutes. Investigators determined that Larry jogged for just over one mile 
in fact, which should have only taken about 18 to 20 minutes. Uh, quoting again the lieutenant, we are concerned for that 20 minutes that Larry can't account for. Inve investigators feel that when Larry discovered the body of Tommy, he panicked and spent the next 30 minutes cleaning up the site and hiding the body, possibly in his patrol car. When he returned home, Larry had been gone for 47 minutes. He claimed to have been jogging that whole time, and while people were out searching for Tommy, Larry drove away in his patrol car with Tommy in the trunk. That's the theory. Um, quoting Larry again, Larry had a lot to say in this segment, boy. He was, he was talking a That's lot. That's a pretty grisly image. You know, they don't really show it, but I mean, it, it's... It, it, there's enough that they say that it gets your imagination to come up with something that's probably even more horrific than anything that they could show on the show. According to Larry, the whole thing is ridiculous. The whole situation is ridiculous. There is nothing to base their investigations. I have already passed a polygraph. There's no forensic evidence. There's nothing. And my whole feeling from the beginning that I did is that I didn't mind them investigating me because there's nothing to find. I didn't do anything. Uh, you know, have at it. But at the same time, look for my son because he's still missing. And uh, you know, that's that's what he had to say. So yeah. And I mean, he was very convincing. Yeah, and that's one of the things that definitely did did uh, jump out at me when I saw the segment for the first time and watched it again. I mean, I didn't really think I, I really did believe him. I didn't think he was guilty. Larry claims two reports support his claim that his son was abducted um, approximately two weeks after Tommy disappeared. Um, and this is some lady named Jeanette, a neighbor. She says, approximately two weeks after Tommy disappeared, I had gone to bed that night. I don't know uh, why, but I began to think about it, um, and I had seen a car. Uh, I was going to the bank, and I had stopped at the end of this road to see if it was clear. And to the left, there was this old vehicle coming by, and there was two people. And they were more like silhouettes, and I pulled behind it. And I noticed the license plate wasn't where it should have been. It was in the... Uh, upper or, or the lower left-hand side of the rearview mirror instead of on the back where it should have been. The vehicle turned off the main road and turned down the road where Tommy and Larry lived. Uh, but then this same lady was interviewed by the FBI and she said she saw nothing suspicious. Um, shortly after Jeanette reported seeing the suspicious vehicle, Larry's daughter Karen remembered a different experience. She said she saw people talking to Tommy in the driveway, saw a woman with a ponytail and a man with a beard walk up and take Tommy, and uh, described an ugly yellow truck with a license plate in the back window. Uh, Karen was interviewed the day that Tommy went missing and two other times, and she, quote, never mentioned a vehicle, but she did say Tommy was playing outside that morning. So Larry's coming up with all these kind of reports, that are not only not substantiated, but they're in direct contradiction of what the interviews that actually took place stated. Yeah. But Larry chimes in yet again. State police are saying that I'm coaching my little girl on what to say. There are no facts anywhere to indicate that my little girl is telling lies. There are no facts anywhere that suggests that my son is dead. And there is no fact anywhere that points to my son's disappearance. Those are the facts, yet we still live under this cloud of suspicion. Soon after Tommy disappeared, authorities received a mysterious letter from someone named Spot in the Road. 
They believe the author has vital information on Tommy's disappearance. The police continue to investigate all avenues of this case, including the abduction. Mike, now, would you like to do yeah, the honors of dropping I, I this can, update? I can, de- I can definitely uh, drop this update. Uh, a few years after Tommy's disappearance, Larry's daughter changed her story to say that she had witnessed that her father had hit him. He was arrested in April 1994, convicted of second-degree manslaughter, and sentenced to three years in prison. I'm like, three years? Isn't that pretty a paltry sentence? So, looking back at all this, it was all bullshit. Um, Larry weaved a, a very lovely and convincing tale of bullshit. He had, in, in all actuality, beaten his son until he stopped moving. That's what the daughter said. Um, and then Karen uh, and Gibbons' estranged wife, Judy, so she left his ass at this point, testified yeah. against him in court. And she was the one that's saying, I don't know what they're talking about with my husband. Yeah, she you was know? the one defending him and saying, I'm tired of them misconstruing my words. And then then it all comes out. It all comes to light. And people are made fools of. And, you know, it, it just it's a whole mess. It was like when I first saw it, my jaw dropped because I was like, what? What? <laughs> but probably the biggest <laughs> atrocity of this whole thing Second-degree manslaughter, three years in prison. Are you yeah. fucking kidding me? He beats his kid until he stops moving. Now, granted, that's what the girl said. There there may or may not be evidence to support that. Yeah, I'm, so it might have been a case of he shot at the cat and there the might, bullet went through the cat and killed the kid. The reason why he only spent three years in jail might be, and they didn't mention this, might be because they never found a body. Yeah, they never did. They still haven't found a body. Well, then if that's the case, I understand the three years because she changes yeah. her story and they they're already suspecting that he's guilty and they go, Boom, good enough for me. You're you're yeah. under arrest, buddy. So it's one of those things that's like, eh, did he really do it or or is it just they changed but why would they change their story? What did they have to gain? But then the it was the estranged wife, so maybe she wants to screw over Larry, you know, and that's the best way she could think of, you know, that's the, th- that's the best thing that she can think of to do that. It's just, I don't, I don't know. Like, there's this, this definitely does leave you asking more questions. Without a even body, after, without a body, there's no, there's no way of knowing because there, the theory yeah. that the the. And, you know, this is some good old boy network shit again, because if this was just some average nobody, then his ass would have already been in prison for 20 years for murdering his son. But the fact that he's a cop and he's in the small town good old boy network, they're giving him all this fucking leeway. And, uh, you know, the body, they need the body to prove their theory of what they think uh, happened. They're trying to say that this was an accident. Nobody's saying, nobody in the police force was saying that he did it on purpose. They're trying to say it's an accident. And even with that, he won't cop, cop up to it and say, yeah, you know, it was an accident. He's still saying, no, I'm completely innocent. Yeah. Because I mean, that that's, they want to save face. I mean, that, that, that looks really bad. That's a bad mark on, on the sheriff's department. True. To have the deputy sheriff, uh, basically accused or actually convicted of murdering you know or killing his kid so i mean yeah i i, I don't know it's one of those like i'm I, i'm like 
part of it, I mean, when you when you read off his quotes without seeing him deliver those lines, in my head automatically, when when I'm not when I'm not associating those quotes with this with this person who's a very amicable person who seems to really know how to communicate very well, and maybe knows how to manipulate people pretty well as well. Um, then I started to think about, yeah, okay, he does kind of, does kind of sound like he maybe might be making up some things. Oh, there's people in a truck that took Tom, you know, took uh, took uh, Tommy away. Uh, the whole discrepancies with the time. He said, oh, it's it's 47 minutes to, to the run, and then only like 20 minutes for the run, really. Yeah, but my question is, how do they know that he says he jogged like two point something miles and then they say he actually jogged once? Yeah, how do they know that? How do they know? Yeah. How do they know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, how, they, they didn't say in the show how they determined that. Probably no. strategically they didn't say because they don't want to give out that the details of how people, you but, know. They you know, the other thing is the daughter said changing her story. Now, it's not just the mother who changes her story that's estranged uh, wife, it's the daughter that changes her story. When you change, what, your, what would she you, have to gain there? When you change your story from a man with a uh, a beard and a woman with a ponytail, grab the white sun, truck. which is which is the story the dad wanted to be true. It's a story. It's the scenario the dad wanted. Uh, when you change that from daddy beat the kid till he was lifeless, uh, you know. There might have been coaching involved on either side. It depends. Like it depends on yeah. what what uh, Judy had to gain from divorcing this guy and any kind of monies that could be gotten from painting him as this murderer. Um, there could be coaching on Larry's side to make the daughter seem, you know, to make Tommy seem like he was abducted. The fact that there is no body is is kind of the whole crux of why this is still. It's uh, troubling. Yeah. Because if they find a body and there's no bullet holes in him and no evidence of being shot, then the then the dude's a fucking murderer. He beat him to death. If there is a bullet, then they're gonna but, go. But my this. thing is like, if it was an accident, then just fess up to it. I mean, even if you're you're a deputy sheriff and you accidentally shot your kid because you lost track of your kid, it's a tragic story. But if you have the proof, if you have the evidence, I mean. That people are gonna forgive you. People are gonna be all right. They're gonna be like, okay. You were trying to shoot the cat. We understand. You know, accidents happen. Right. The fact that he, if it was an accident, and he's just completely denying everything, that is very suspicious. And his body still hasn't been found. So I, I mean, I, I don't really believe this theory of some guy with a beard and some girl with a ponytail. Grabbing the kid out of a pickup and shoving him into a pickup truck, and then driving off somewhere, and then we never hear these people hear from these people again. Yes, sometimes this happens with kidnappings. Uh, I think there was a recent one where this baby was actually found recently. Wasn't around your? Yeah. Uh huh. Your one? Yep. 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 Um. Uh. Kid. A baby who was kidnapped. Um. Was recently. Um just recently 17 years later uh returned to the uh, rightful parents and um so sometimes it happens but that's a rarity well actually i've been hearing uh because my i got you know i'm i'm an uncle now and all that uh my, yeah. my niece and all i was i was hearing from um 
my brother's wife that when you uh, when you take the baby home for the first time, uh, not to put out balloons on the mailbox, not to make any kind of fanfare about it because people steal babies. Apparently, oh, yeah, I didn't know that well, was a thing. Well, I I remember the segment from one of the I forgot exactly what season it was one of the earlier seasons where these babies, this woman, you know, would go in and corner mothers after they grab their babies at night and then they'd take them home and then put them, you know, pointed a gun at them and took their babies. Yeah, and, and even, uh, you know, they, they were telling them, uh, my brother's wife on the way home from the hospital, you know, like, uh, you're supposed to... You're supposed to have some kind of ID or something on you or something because if you get pulled over, there's no way that you can honestly prove that it's your baby. Yeah. Um, some crazy shit that I never even thought yeah. about. So like, yeah, you're really not. It's really like like a no no now to uh, advertise yeah. like new babies kind of. But I mean, with stuff like this, where we're an older kid, you know, and the kid is six years old, uh, two year old, your two year old kid is kidnapped rarely does the kid end up being found years later unless the kid is dead so what do you what i i don't know like i i think he's guilty but the the body the remains have not been located so it's really hard to say def, with a definitive you know decision to say definitively Larry did it. Yeah, it's one of those up in the air ones for sure. Um, it's but it's different because when I first saw the segment, I didn't know this extra stuff. So I thought it was just, oh, he did it. What a fucking asshole. <laughs> but then, but then, you know, when I read into it, read into it a little bit more, I'm like, well, OK, maybe there's a little, I don't know. It's up in the air now. I think he did it, but I can't say for sure that he did. Now, he lives in Montana now, and he's a country music performer. Are you serious? Yep. No. That's what it says on the update? On yeah, the... he sings country music, yeah. Dude, that's... That's fucking nuts. Yeah. Well, I shot my son when I tried to kill a cat. The law was on my back. I ain't got time for that. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> and what's even crazier is uh, the image of Tommy Gibson was actually used in Soul Asylum's 1993 hit Runaway Train. Jeez, that's crazy. Well, um, that's that case. Uh, I don't really have anything else to say about it. Um, I don't either. I think it's got to kind of be a short one this week because I got. What do you think? Do you think he did it? Um. Do I think that he killed his son? Do I think he hit? I I don't. I don't think he did it on purpose. I don't. Yeah. I don't think he killed his son on purpose. However, it happened. Even if he did hit him. And he might have been embarrassed to admit that, oh, yeah, I beat my son. I think however his son died was an accident. Yeah. But yeah. the fact that he seemed a That's little... That's kind of what I'm leaning towards as well. But there is a psychotic part about him that he seems just a little too easy to live with himself on camera. Yeah. That's how he appeared. He was mm -hmm. living with himself a little too easily despite all the things that had happened. Yeah. 
So on that note, uh, we're going to have to end it a little early today or tonight or whatever. Uh, I got a gig that I got to go to. Um, if you I got to like, feed, feed myself. Oh, that's another thing I got to do. Uh, if you'd like <laughs> to become fans of our Facebook page, you can like us on facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. And uh, you guys have kind of turned that page into your own thing. It's your own little uh, little meeting spot for all things Unsolved Mysteries, which is cool. Uh, and the podcast, not just the show. Cause it's not just about the show. You listen for us, too, I think. I'd like to think at this point. Uh, I already plugged all the other stuff. Um, and, and with all that being said, I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your yeah. week. And um, Enjoy season two or enjoy the rest of season one if you're still watching it. And uh, uh, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Good night. See ya. See ya.